Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. a little bit of time to get there. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Now that is the Old Testament book. I said 2 Chronicles, not 2 Corinthians. So we're in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles, that is the historical book in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And I don't know if my tongue is bridled this morning, but it is a little burnt. I was uh, sampling some of the things downstairs, and uh, it was a little hot, and so I kind of burnt my tongue a little bit. And then, I, I, th- so this came after, so I think uh, the reason why I burnt my tongue was because of this, actually. Um, but uh, we were talking about conflict in the church in Sunday school. And uh, we're relating it to marriage. You know, everyone expects churches not to have conflict, where it's like, yeah, that, that's never going to happen. Uh, churches have conflict, and they should have conflict, uh, just like marriages have conflict. And so something was being said downstairs by Joe about uh, conflict in my marriage and so forth. And I was like, well, we actually wouldn't have any conflict if Sonia would get her act together. Uh, so I can keep my beard now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, then I burnt my tongue so anyway I will try to speak I feel it's swelling as we go but Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14 and verse number 1 So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. And uh, we only read a short little passage here this morning just to try to kick off some thoughts. We don't have time to go through all the scripture and then make applications. So this morning, I am going to ask you to do something for me, and that is to go home and read Second Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. Because how would you like for me to do an exposition on chapters 14, 15, and 16 this morning? Yeah. You know how long it takes me, right? So uh, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to forego the exposition of the text directly. And I'm going to take the application from the text. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Father, we pray for your blessings here upon us. We pray that you would help us to learn some things here from King Asa. 
that would be a help to us in our days, just as you were a help to him in his days. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is a sermon on the 10th anniversary of Holy Trinity Reformed Church, and as we gather here to get t- today to commemorate 10 years, we started out uh, 10 years ago, on, uh, it was actually October the 6th was the exact date, 10 years ago, uh, in our house there on Bishop Street. And um, so a lot of things have transpired since then. And today we are celebrating and commemorating the 10 years of God's faithfulness to us. And I want to begin, though, with a word of caution uh, with our message this morning, a disclaimer, if you will. And, you know, I'm growing a little tired of uh, disclaimers and having to do that in our very sensitive age today. But this is not one of those types of disclaimers. This is a disclaimer... Um, in something that I'm opening up here. And so it's a disclaimer and a warning that uh, hopefully you will not carry it too far. And uh, we have a a tendency to do that, don't we? But in an age of intricate theories and speculations, and they are everywhere, right? Especially now with the internet, it's like opened up every possibility uh, that uh, could ever be known to man. So we live in this age of all kinds of theories and speculations, and even within the community of Bible believers, we need to tread carefully when it comes to numbers and their meanings in the Bible. Now, numbers do hold significance in Scripture, or they would not be there. But let's not fall into the trap of trying to unveil hidden prophecies and secret codes and mystical relationships between numbers and events. God does not call us to decipher secret meanings. Instead, his revealed truth in Scripture is sufficient to equip every good work, according to Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So with that being said, there is wisdom in making application and trying to understand the significance of times and seasons in Scripture in order to learn lessons, not hidden secrets. So numbers often convey messages beyond their mathematical value, and today we are going to consider the number 10. For one, it's here in our text about King Asa, and we're trying to learn some things about King Asa this morning. And it talks about in his days the land was quiet for 10 years. Now, I'm not trying to draw some kind of secret revelation in relation to us and our 10th anniversary, but only to connect the two aspects that we are celebrating our 10th anniversary. And we notice here with King Asa that in the beginning of his reign, the land was quiet for 10 years. And so the number 10 carries significant meaning in the Bible because it symbolizes authority and completeness of order and responsibility. For instance, the word tithe (laughs) uh, means a tenth. Everyone was afraid that we was going to go there, right? And it's closely associated with the number 10. 
The Bible teaches us the concept of tithing as an act of honor and acknowledging authority and fulfilling our responsibility. Leviticus 27.30 and Deuteronomy 14.22 emphasize the significance of the tithe as holy to the Lord. And today some debate the relevance of tithing in the new covenant, yet in Hebrews chapter 7 it reveals that tithing is associated with the order of Melchizedek, a foreshadowing of Christ's priesthood. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, emphasizing the continuing importance of this principle under the new covenant. But what do we learn from the number 10? Number 10 is prominent, not only in the aspects of the tithe, but also in the Ten Commandments, right? These are the things that should jump out of it as first. You know, tithing, ten, ten commandments, ten. And the Ten Commandments consist of four commands toward God. That's called the first table of the law. And then there's the second table of the law that contains six commands towards our fellow man. And they represent completeness, authority, and responsibility. As a matter of fact, the word for actually symbolizes completeness in the Bible. And the word six is considered the number of man. And four plus six equals ten. And so here we have that authority and that responsibility and completeness as they form the basis of godly order for living. Then we can think about the ten plagues. The story of the Exodus and the ten plagues upon Egypt representing both completeness of judgment from the Egyptian perspective, right? It was complete judgment. But there was completeness of deliverance from the Hebrew perspective. We can think about the Passover lamb as families selected their Passover lamb on the tenth day of the first month, highlighting the importance of this day in God's plan of redemption. Then we can notice also the ten days of repentance in the Feast of Trumpets uh, that came uh, to a head, basically, in the Day of Atonement. It came to completion there on the Day of Atonement, which was the tenth day of the feast. And so these ten days of repentance and then the tenth day of atonement uh, uh, emphasize the completeness of the call to repentance and reconciliation with God. And these examples reveal the wisdom of numbering our days. God created the world, and in the creation of the world, he created four seasons in which to govern a year. And we are told that we are to number our days, and these examples reveal the wisdom of that according to God's established patterns and principles. Psalm 19, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that, our, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so we should learn how to number our days. First of all, God's only given us about 70 to 80 years upon this earth. That's not very long. You better number them or they will be wasted away. But our scripture today introduces us to King Asa who experienced 10 years of peace at the beginning of his reign. Now, Asa was a descendant of King Solomon. He ruled the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you remember, under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the kingdom was separated. There was a division of the kingdom. The northern ten tribes seceded from the southern two tribes. 
And so there became two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom was referred to as Judah. The reason why this division came along is because Rehoboam, not following in his father's footsteps, who was considered, many considered to be the wisest man that ever lived, right? Solomon, that's what he asked for from the Lord. The one thing, God would give him anything that he wanted. Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for anything but wisdom. And so Solomon was a very wise man. Unfortunately, his son Rehoboam was a very unwise man. He did not listen to his elders. And so instead of lightening the burden of the people through taxation, he increased it. And so there was a tax revolt in the northern ten tribes seceded from the southern two tribes. And there became two kingdoms. Well, Asa is the great-grandson of Solomon, and he becomes king of Judah. His father, Abijah, was the king before him. And so we find that he comes to reign in a time period of great conflict and division among the people of God, amongst the 12 tribes of Israel as the kingdom was split into two. So his ancestors had faced challenges, including civil war and division and conflict within Israel. And notice there is this statement that is made right here at the beginning concerning Asa's reign, that in his days the land was quiet for ten years. So the first thing we are going to consider is the lessons of peaceful beginnings. Here in the first seven Verses of Second Chronicles chapter 14. So as we delve into the story and the history of King Asa's reign, we encounter a period of profound significance. There was actually this time period of peace after there had been this chaotic time period before him. And so the first decade of Asa's rule stands out as a testament to the impact of a leader who seeks the divine order and diligently restores God's authority. Notice in verse number 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built and fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those days, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, and towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. So he has this decade, he has this time period, decade, it's ten years, seven years. But he had this ten years of rest, and he used that time period to do what? Prepare. Notice. Even in some of the language here, it's an aspect of preparing for the potential 
of war. So they are building and prospering. He's taking this opportunity during this time of rest and peace, not to be complacent, but to establish authority and order and responsibility. So he has 10 years of peace, and his rule is distinguished by this time period. And 10 is a decade. I don't know what I'm telling you. Um, I'm all over the place uh, here this morning on that. 10 years is a decade. And so he has this decade of peace. And this was not merely a period free from military conflicts, but a time when the tranquility of the kingdom mirrored the divine peace and order that God intended for his people. So during these 10 years, the land of Judah was blessed with prosperity and the people lived without the looming uh, potential of war over their heads. There was not this conflict and division going on amongst the children of Judah. But in all of this, we find the fingerprints of divine authority because it is God who grants peace and establishes order among his people. And we see... Second of all, how that this peace was restored amongst the children of Judah. You see, the peace that marked Asa's early reign was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. It was the fruit of a deliberate and bold decision by King Asa to restore the proper worship of God. He recognized that genuine peace could only be obtained by upholding God's authority and in doing so, eliminating idolatry and pagan influences that had crept into the land. And so he understands that peace is directly from our peace with God. And so he makes peace with God in true worship. And then also in eliminating that which is false. So the temples that were dedicated to the false gods were dismantled, and the pagan altars were torn down. And these actions were not merely symbolic, but they were a visible. In other words, it really happened. It was physical. Let's wake up. It was visible. It really happened. It wasn't mystical like we do today. In other words, this divine authority and this order and this responsibility took place in the real world. It was not just lip service. It was real. So he really establishes true worship. And he really destroys pagan worship. And they had peace amongst the people of Judah. They were a visible declaration of the people's allegiance to God's authority and a manifestation of their desire to live, actually live, under his divine order. And so we see that he upheld this divine order and he used these 10 years to establish it and to uphold it. And his commitment to restoring divine authority meant not only removing what was wrong, but 
actively promoting what was right. And that's the kind of service to God that we need to return to today. He implemented reforms and changes that reinforced the divine order within the kingdom of Judah. Priests were appointed to lead the people in worship, and the law of the Lord was made accessible to the citizens. Under Asa's leadership, the nation was given the tools and direction to live in accordance with God's design. The commitment to upholding God's divine order was pivotal in the manifestation of God's peace within the kingdom. So in reflecting on these lessons of peaceful beginnings during Asa's reign, we are reminded that the divine order and authority of God are foundational to true peace. And notice that true peace was within and among God's people. Just as King Asa recognized the importance of removing idolatry idolatry, and upholding a worship of the true God, we too must be vigilant in our lives, in, in this physical, tangible, real world. We must be vigilant in our lives. We must be vigilant in our families. We must be vigilant in our church. And we must be vigilant in our community to ensure that God's authority is the guiding force. It is through divine authority, the removal of idolatry, and a commitment to God's order that we find peace in our lives, just as Asa did during these ten remarkable years in the beginning of his reign. But secondly, let's notice, and we're not going to be able to give much scripture reference, if any, here this morning for this next section, But let's notice in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 8, through chapter 15 and verse 18, the lessons of every season. So that was one season, the first decade in Asa's reign. He reigned for 36 years. So that's just one season. So now let's learn the lessons of every season. King Asa's reign is a testimony to the fact that peace is not solely the absence of conflict. That's what we think peace is. Peace is that I get to sit in a lawn chair and do nothing, right? That's what we think peace is. That peace is the absence of conflict. That's not true. It's rather a result of an unwavering commitment to God's divine order. Even when we are faced with trials and tribulations in life, even when we are faced with war, peace is an unwavering commitment to God's divine order. So during this phase of his reign, Asa's actions underscore the fullness of responsibility and the depth of reliance on the Lord's strength. King Asa teaches us that everything has its time, just as his great-grandfather Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Remember what Solomon wrote? To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep 
and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. You see, there's a time for every season. The Lord is the God of every season. Just as he built four seasons during the calendar year, God gives us times of peace, but these times are for preparation for other seasons that are to come, and come they will. And if you notice, in verse number 8, it starts talking about the army that Asa had. And then he starts uh, talking about uh, their strength militarily. And then you will notice that there is war in verses 9 through the rest of the chapter. You see, trials will come. Tribulations will come. Battles will come. And Asa's peaceful beginnings eventually gave way to seasons of trials and battles. And these conflicts were not a sign that God had abandoned him, but a reminder that the completeness of our responsibility as God's people extends to all circumstances, to all times, and to all seasons, wherever God may lead us. Instead of viewing these trials as interruptions to peace, Asa recognized them as opportunities to demonstrate unwavering faith in the peace of God. And in this we find a lesson that resonates through the ages. True peace is not an escape from difficulties, but true peace is a steadfastness in the face of them. And then we see his commitment even in these challenging seasons, to the divine order. These are not just things. The authority of God and the completeness of order and the responsibility of man, these are not just things for times of peace, but these are things for times of trial and conflict and battles. And so through Asa's challenging times, His commitment to the divine order remained unshaken. He understood that adherence to God's authority was not merely a fair weather pursuit, but a responsibility to uphold in every season of life. The presence of conflict did not lead him to compromise on his devotion to God's design. Instead, it drove him closer to it. And the commitment was evident in his continued efforts to eradicate idolatry, and to encourage the people to seek the Lord as he called them to rely upon the Lord's strength, as he relied upon the Lord's strength. And so as the battle rages on here in Second Chronicles chapter 14 and even in chapter 15, Asa's trust in God's strength becomes even more strengthened. He becomes more committed to his reliance and trust in the Lord. 
He didn't rely on his own might or resources, but he turned to the Lord for guidance and deliverance. And this reliance upon the Lord's strength is a lesson for us all. In the face of adversity, it is not our own abilities or worldly solutions that bring lasting peace, but a humble reliance upon God's power and guidance. The victories achieved through God's strength not only secured physical safety for them, but also a deep abiding peace within the kingdom. And so, through King Asa, we discover that true peace is the result of an unwavering commitment to God's divine order, regardless of the challenges that we encounter. Therefore, we must embrace trials and battles with the understanding that they provide opportunities to deepen our faith and to advance the kingdom. Our responsibility of God as God's people is not seasonal. It's not just for 10 years of peace. But it's also for decades of war. It's a constant devotion. And so, in all circumstances, we must rely on the strength of the Lord, knowing that it's through him that we find enduring peace, just as Asa did during the times of conflict and triumph. But then we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 19, and then all the way through uh, chapter 16, and we find the lessons of old age. So with Asa, we find the lessons of times of peace. Then we find the lessons of all seasons, and now we're going to see the lessons of old age. King Asa's old age introduces a complex chapter in his reign. Everything that we read about Asa is wonderful. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He was devoted to the true worship of the Lord. He restrained evil, opposed to that which was evil. But then we get to his older years, and it makes things a little complex in trying to understand Asa. He becomes known in his old age as a mover and shaker. He's marked by political maneuvers and a shift away from his previous reliance upon the Lord. After all these wonderful years of service to God and country, we come now to the end of his life, and this is, what we under, this is what we see. We see Asa's earlier years emphasizing divine authority, order, and responsibility. But the later years of his life tells us a different story. Such as his actions like forming an alliance with the king of Syria. This demonstrated a shift in his trust from God and God's authority to human alliances as he began to walk in the ways of his father. This transition serves as a cautionary tell that even those who have previously upheld divine authority may falter in their later years. Therefore, it underlies the need for maintaining unwavering faith in God's authority throughout our lives, regardless of age or experience. 
Asa's alliance with the king of Syria led to the interruption of God's plan, so to speak, from human uh, from the human point of view, and a rebuke from the prophet. The prophet rebuked Asa for his alliance with Syria in chapter 16. And so he abandons the divine order. He starts relying upon human strategies. And it begins to have consequences. You see, Asa's choice resulted in ongoing wars. Instead of, with God's authority and order and responsibility and trusting in the Lord, instead of going forth into battle to bring peace, it became ongoing wars that never brought any peace. And the reason was because it never could completely gain the victory. And so he has these ongoing wars. And so the prophet rebukes him. And does Asa receive it from the Lord? No, because he's trusting now in his own wisdom. He's trusting now in his own might. Even so much so that the Lord sends an illness upon him. And as he faced a severe disease, instead of looking to the Lord for healing, he disregarded the Lord and solely sought help from physicians without any trust and reliance in divine authority and faith in God. You see, these decisions later on in life marks a turning point in his life, and it becomes a cautionary tale. And an example of the dangers of forsaking our reliance upon God, especially during challenging times. Asa could have went down in history with names like Josiah. But instead, there's these later years that complicates our understanding of Asa. Because he moved away from divine authority, he moved away from the importance of remaining steadfast in the faith and seeking God's reliance throughout all phases of life. He ran the race well until he got to the end. And it's a reminder that divine authority should remain constant. And that we should not deviate from it, regardless of age, experience, or season. So in these lessons from King Asa's reign, we discover a divine wisdom. That is even connected to this number 10. The wisdom speaks to us through the importance of divine authority and the completeness of divine order and the weight of human responsibility in our life of faith. As we live by faith and as we journey through our seasons of life, 
And so as we gather to celebrate the 10th anniversary of this church, we are reminded that numbers do hold meaning in the Bible. And lessons for us to learn. So what should we learn in relation to these things here this morning? First of all, the importance of acknowledging Christ's authority. Just as King Asa's peaceful beginning of ten years established a reign rooted in divine authority, we must too recognize the unwavering authority of Christ in our lives and in the life of this church. And Christ's authority is the cornerstone upon which our faith is built. It's an acknowledgement that he is the head of the church and that his lordship guides us in every step we take. And no matter what season we are in, no matter where we are at in the journey of our life, this is, should be a non-negotiable aspect of our existence. To acknowledge the authority of Christ as supreme. And then secondly, the maintaining of divine order. First of all, if we are going to be steadfast throughout all of our seasons of life, and if this church is going to remain steadfast throughout its seasons of existence, we must maintain the divine order. A completeness of order that's exemplified in King Asa's dedication to restoring proper worship and the elimination of idolatry. These things should be lessons to us. Our relationship with God and our mission as a church are tied to maintaining this divine order, the true worship of God. And we must ensure that our lives in this church are in alignment with God's divine order, seeking his wisdom in all that we do. And then third, embracing responsibility. Responsibility is a weight upon us. It's the weight of human responsibility. You see, we have the faith in God's sovereignty and the weight of human responsibility. And this responsibility is showcased through King Asa's reliance on the Lord's strength in the face of adversity. And it's a vital lesson that we need to learn. We as a church community have responsibilities to God and to one another. And our role is not only to worship, but also to serve and to love and to live out our faith daily, relying on strength and guidance of the Lord. And then fourth... We need to consider the foundation for the future. You see, Asa set a foundation for the future there in that first decade of peace when he began to, to establish the true worship of God and the elimination of idolatry. And as he began to build and prosper, we need to build a foundation for the future that foundation carried asa throughout most of his life until the very end when for whatever reason he seemed to have slipped back but it was a foundation that he set that served him well it paved the way for a godly reign throughout most of his life and may our first 10 years as a church serve as a foundation for many more to come. May they be years marked by wisdom, divine order, 
and a profound reverence for the Lord impacting not only our lives, but also the lives of those that we touch through this ministry. So as we commemorate this milestone, a decade, let us commit to upholding these lessons that we find in the life of Asa, acknowledging Christ's authority, maintaining divine order, and embracing our responsibilities. And in doing so, we honor the legacy of our past and prepare ourselves for a bright future that God has in store for this church. Father, we are trusting and relying completely upon you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand the importance of these days in which we live, that we would understand that you have called us to the kingdom for such a time as this, and that you would help us to prepare and to build and to be ready to go forth in service for you and your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.